Welcome back to the Based on History podcast and one of my favorite segments, Things John Got Wrong. Now, for the Battle of the Bulge episode, I didn't get a whole lot wrong, not to toot my own horn, but one of the things that I forgot to mention in the podcast that someone had said, hey, make sure you talk about this. And I said, oh yeah, of course I'm going to talk about that. Then I went ahead and completely forgot to talk about it. So the thing that I kind of forgot to talk about was the Panzerlied tank song that they sing in the movie. It's one of the most famous scenes in the entire movie and kind of revitalized this song for other militaries to use it in different different manners and things like that. But it's the song when Robert Shaw's character, Hessler, goes down into the bunker. He wants to meet his new tank commanders, and he's worried that they're too young, and they're you know just boys, and they haven't seen enough combat or don't have enough experience. And then one of the young, scrappy Nazis looks around, and he breaks out into the Panzerlied, and then they all start singing, and this inspires Hessler that, you know what, we may be young, and we may not have the experience, but because they sing this song, we can win. And then they all start singing. And then, you know, the, then it, it cuts off and they, they start the battle. Now, the Panzerlied was a song of Nazi Germany. It wasn't written by Nazis. It was written by Germans and adopted in the Wehrmacht and the, especially in the Panzer Corps. And in Germany, or excuse me, in German, Panzer means tank. So it's just the, the tank song. It's reportedly to have been Rommel's favorite song. In the movie, they only sing the first verse over and over and over again. There's like three or four different verses, and they talk about, you know, the Panzers, nothing can stop them, and, you know, storming through the night and seizing ground, and it's very, very, you know, super patriotic for the German tank corps. And it's kind of an, you know, even though they're Germans and it's World War II, it is kind of an inspiring song and it's got a pretty good rhythm and it's got a pretty good beat and you kind of find yourself wanting to sing along with it afterwards. So it's just kind of a cool scene in the, in the movie. Now that song has been banned in Germany itself due to its Nazi correlation and the use by the Nazi forces. But there are a few militaries around the world that have used the tune of it and then rewritten the, their own verses to apply to their military or whatever unit it, it you know there that has adopted it they rewrote it for for their own purposes so that's just kind of a cool little tidbit that i completely forgot to talk about in the podcast so before we dive in we're going to hear a word from our sponsors and then we'll get started with the american sniper episode of the based on history podcast this episode is brought to you by alexis night photography Alexis is an award-winning lifestyle, brand, and wedding photographer based in the Cotswolds, England, specializing in headshots, family shoots, and event photography. Alexis has over 20 years' experience. You can find her work and contact her for all your photography needs at alexisknight.co.uk. That's alexis, K-N-I-G-H-T, dot C-O, dot U-K. We are also brought to you by Design Weaver Textiles. Based in the heart of the Cotswolds, Philippa Weaver of Design Weaver Textiles is a hand-tufted rug designer and maker with a passion for British craftsmanship. With 20 years of experience designing carpet for high-end hospitality, she is uniquely suited to bring a fully bespoke design and make service to you, taking care at each stage to provide a beautiful and truly unique work of art to your interior landscape. You can find her on Instagram at Design Weaver Tex. Again, that's at 
Design Weaver Techs. We are also brought to you by Vanguard Cattle. Vanguard is a small, family-owned beef operation located in the heart of Texas. Their primary focus is on registered Santa Gertrudis cattle for superior genetics, bull and female replacement for commercial cattlemen and meat production. Vanguard's family roots date back to the days prior to the Republic of Texas. They take much pride in offering strong, sound genetics and beef to other Texas families. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at at Vanguard underscore cattle or via email at vanguardcattle at gmail.com. Once again, that's at Vanguard underscore cattle or via email at vanguardcattle at gmail.com. You're listening to the Based on History podcast. All units, Irene. I say again, Irene. And we're going to kick him in the ass. We're going to kick the hell out of him all the time. And we're going to go through him like crap through a goose. You tell him I'm coming. And hell's coming with me, you hear? Hell's coming with me. That they may take our lives. But they'll never take our freedom. Are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here? Howdy, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Based on History podcast. I'm your host, John Nydick. As always, I'm joined by my beautiful wife, Alexis. Hello. And today we're going to be covering the movie American Sniper and seeing how close they got to the historical events, what they got right and what they got wrong. And as always, before we dive into the historical events, we're going to talk about the movie, what we thought about it, what we liked, what we didn't like, and then we'll get into some of the things that they got wrong right, you know, kind of right off the bat, and then we'll get into kind of more of the story. So, Alexis... You've seen this movie before, mm-hmm. but it's been a while since either one of us had watched it. What are your thoughts on the movie? Well, um, I chose it, so it was excellent. This is true, <laughs> yeah. The best one we've done so far. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I really liked it a lot. What are some of the things that uh, really stood out to you? I thought Bradley Cooper was amazing. Um, really impressed with him. Um, it all just seemed very real. It felt like I was really in the movie. Um, I'm hoping that they got a lot right, but I'm pretty sure I remember in the past you telling me that they get a lot wrong on this one, um, which is a shame because you want I want to believe all of it. Right. So they they get a lot of things right in the movie. But they also get a lot of things wrong. And what I mean by that is they get a lot of the little things right. Mm-hmm. But overall, the movie's more or less fictitious. Right. As far as what he does while he's on deployment. There's a lot of things that they do get right. And one of them, like you said, is Bradley Cooper's performance. I never met Chris Kyle. But from some of the things I've read, the people who did know Chris they almost couldn't tell a difference between the way Bradley Cooper acted and the real Chris Kyle. 
he was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actor for mm. for his portrayal he of Chris Carter. He didn't it? win. Who he got didn't... it that year? I don't know. I can't remember who actually won won that year. But his his portrayal and his mannerisms of Chris Kyle is extremely impressive. The way he bulked up for the movie and got his mannerisms and the way he spoke and just carried himself and everything like that was um, it's amazing. It's an amazing performance. Mm-hmm. They really captured the essence of who the man was, mm-hmm. the way he talked and some of the phrases that he used and some of the like quotes from the book that are hit there that are his quotes. They they sprinkle those throughout the mm-hmm. movie and the way he says them and you just get a feel that it's it, it's almost there was like one quote that you said after he said it you repeated it and said oh you you, you guys would say that a lot when you're out oh yeah <laughs> when at the beginning of the movie when it's showing Chris Kyle and he's about to take that that shot mm-hmm. and the guy with the cell phone is kind of up on the balcony and Chris like reports it to like the intel or like the higher ups. And then the guy walks away, and Chris goes, he stepped off. <laughs> and we would always just joke. Whether we were in training or whatever, we would always just kind of say it because it was just kind of funny. <laughs> oh, he stepped off. I thought Sienna Miller was amazing as well. All the acting's great mm-hmm. in the movie. It's well cast, mm-hmm. I think. It's well acted. It's well shot the way they filmed it. it it's an impressive movie in and of itself. I like it as a movie. Mm-hmm. But when, especially, and you kind of know where I stand, everyone knows where I stand on the historical accuracy of movies, but when you're taking the, uh, uh, essentially a biography of this man and telling his story, and then you get so much wrong of his life, mainly so, with his deployment. So he told his own story, did he? In his... he? He wrote a book called American Sniper. Right. He wrote it. And that's what the movie is supposed to I be see. based on. And so he he wrote it after his full deployment? Yes, after he got out of the military, he wrote okay. the book. And almost nothing, almost nothing is like it is in the book. Oh, they just make up stuff out of the blue. Now, there are some individual scenes that actually happen, but they happen they happen differently than they do... Or they happen differently in real life than they do in, mm-hmm. in the movie. They, and we'll we'll get more I mean, into that as we start talking about the chronology. Did, did you like the movie? I liked the movie if it was a fictional movie about a made-up guy who was a sniper, mm-hmm. a SEAL sniper in Iraq, and did these missions. I would, I would love the movie if it was just plainly historical fiction. It's frustrating to me that they've taken someone as well-known and as well-respected as Chris Kyle who, when they started making this movie, was still alive. And by the time it ended, he had oh, been really? killed. Oh, really? I didn't realize that. And that was, they he com- was killed during the movie. They completely do a disservice to him, his memory, his reputation, his service. It, 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 it frustrates me when they've... Someone who I respect, especially coming from the sniper community, mm-hmm. who, like I said, never met but looked up to and respected his capabilities and what he was able to do. And then they completely just take a crap all over. I wonder what he would have thought of it. I bet he would, I I bet he would not be happy. So 
I think they do a great job. He was definitely, he didn't seem from the movie, they, he didn't seem like what you would call a glory hound. <laughs> no, he's not. I would not call him a glory hound. There are some people who would be. So he probably doesn't like the fact that he's kind of, no, I mean, he's not, he's not portrayed as a glory hound in this, but um, I mean, whether it was his number of kills accurate or did they bump that up? So we'll, like, talk, we'll talk about that. Okay. We'll talk about the number of kills because that's kind of one of the things that's kind of like debated. Right. Um, in the movie, they, I'll, I'll just say, they do an accurate representation of the number of kills he gets in the Oh, movie. okay. But they, it's, and we'll get to why that's up for debate. But I just, I, I don't think that he would like, I don't think that he would like it. I know a lot of military guys that don't like it, who have read the book, and they know what he really did. And mm -hmm. the things that he did are, in my opinion, much more impressive than the things that they okay. portray in the movie. I don't know why they made things up when the things that are real are, are more amazing i think what they do a really good job is is capturing the essence of chris kyle as a man mm -hmm. and capturing the essence of his aura as a sniper in the war in iraq they do an amazing amazing job in doing that but as far as telling the story they get it it all wrong right. they get it all wrong did um did he as a person um have anything to do with inspiring you to become a sniper or were you already on mm. that on that path no i yeah i was already i'd already wanted to be a sniper and um him specifically didn't have anything to do with me wanting to be one mm -hmm. but anybody in the sniper community knows who chris kyle is there's a few other really famous snipers that everyone mm -hmm. knows who they are when you go to sniper school you learn about them and you study their ways mm -hmm. and the weapons they use and, and how they on your screensaver on your computer that the one that was on my computer is simo haya mm -hmm. he is finnish and he is the sniper with the most kills in history how many something like 250 or mm. 350 or, or something like that. I'd have to look it up. He fought in the Winter War, which was when Russia invaded Finland prior or right on the eve of the start of what we consider World War II. Mm -hmm. And so he was fighting the Russians and he killed a lot of Russians. And they ended up having to like call an artillery bombardment on the area that they thought he was in to try and kill him. And then he ended up surviving that and crawling out of the rubble and making his way back to the finish lines. And he had to have like facial reconstruction surgery. Oh my goodness. And then, yeah, there's there's a few famous snipers that everyone knows. So Chris Kyle didn't inspire me directly, but as I was in that community and you hear about this, and he was beginning to kind of, he was kind of getting out of the military when I enlisted, and so around that time is when you start hearing those stories come out especially once the book was released and every everyone wanted to read the book and 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 everything like that so some of the some of the things that they got wrong in the movie i don't necessarily have to do overall with it and you called one of them out right off the bat when the scene started the movie gets hit for pretty hard is the fake baby oh yeah <laughs> and, Everyone talks about the fake baby in the movie, and yeah, it was just just a baby doll. <laughs> how fake it looks, and just how it looks like they're carrying a dead a dead baby, yeah, you know, or like very like, stiff. Yes, and you can see like Chris Kyle's like holding it, mm -hmm. and he's using his finger to like move the, <laughs> like move the arm. Oh, it just it, yeah, it looks terrible. 
And so I, it's it's kind of a famous fake baby. Okay. And so there's some things you know talked about it. and Clint Eastwood was acting about it. he's the director for the movie and he was saying baby number one was sick that they were going to use oh really they actually meant to have a real they baby they meant to have a real baby oh and then my God. baby I can't number two they find a baby baby number two for some reason was unavailable I suppose I mean did they actually film it in Iraq no oh okay no Where they did, did not they film, film it? they filmed some scenes in Morocco and then the rest of it was shot it did in... look quite Morocco-y and then the rest of it was shot in California okay. on a movie set where they built... The bits when Mustafa the sniper, the Olympic sniper, was like jumping from rooftops. Would that have been Morocco? That would have been California oh, mainly. Really? They There's a movie set in California that's been built to look like okay. Iraq so that they can film there. Wow. And I don't know how much CGI or, mm. or how much was filmed in Morocco. I just know that may, maybe that was filmed in Morocco. But it was filmed in Morocco and it was filmed in California. Okay. Because I know that there's a movie set that they've built to look like Iraq. And a lot of movies that feature soldiers in Iraq have, mm -hmm. been, have been filmed there. So the other thing, some of the other little things that they get wrong are when he goes to sniper school, the way they portray sniper school in the movie is terrible. I was going to ask you about that, it, if it was anything like your no, experience it, of sniper school. No, it, it's, oh. it's, it's, I don't even know how to describe how bad their portrayal of sniper school is. Now, he went to, there's a few different sniper schools. That's how I always visualized sniper school when you were there. There's a few different sniper schools in the military. You've got Army Sniper School, you've got Marine Scout Sniper School, and then the Navy, the Navy SEALs now mm -hmm. have their own sniper school. And Chris Kyle went to the Navy SEAL sniper school. Now, some of the other Navy SEAL snipers, they went to the different the different okay. schools, but he went to the Navy SEAL specific one. And I obviously have not gone through that course, but I know that the Navy SEALs based their sniper school off of things they learned in the Marine sniper school and in the Army sniper school. And I can guarantee you their sniper school is similar to what I went through. And it's nothing, nothing like what the movie portrays. Now, I'm not saying that Hollywood has to like give away trade secrets of the, you know, mm -hmm. military, but there are things that they could have done to show what sniper school actually, actually was like. And there's documentaries out there. There's like, you know, surviving the cut style documentaries that do sniper school. The information is out there to act at least, you know, semi accurately portray what he went through. And he talks about it in the book. He talks about, and there were similar things that I did and that all snipers go through. And in the movie, it's just, it's a joke. They're just on this little platform in the desert shooting at these targets off in the distance. And he has that super stupid scene where he shoots the snake and he's like, I'm better when it's breathing. It's, it's, it's just ridiculous. Just ridiculous. It's bad. It it makes me cringe to watch that scene. And I I've watched a couple YouTube videos of other snipers reviewing it, and they all just laugh and, and think, mm -hmm. it, think it's a joke. It's it's pretty good Hollywood, though, isn't it? Oh, it's bad Hollywood. Is it? Yeah. I mean, I, it's, I enjoyed it. It's what it's what Hollywood thinks sniper school is like. So they didn't even portray it. Right. So it's bad. It's bad Hollywood. Well, I ju I'm just referring to that snake scene. I I liked it. Oh. I see. It's very dramatic, mm -hmm. but it's bad. It's laughable. Some of the other things they got wrong are they make him seem like he's this old guy when he enlists. You know, they say he's 30 whenever he enlists. Mm -hmm. He was 24 when he enlisted. I don't okay. know why they, by the time. 
Maybe the time just they... because um, cause, um, Bradley Cooper was a bit older. Maybe, but... So they he was kind of known as like an older guy in the SEAL teams. Mm-hmm. That's kind of later on in his career, as he had been in the military for a while and built up his so reputation. they didn't have that many years of Bradley Cooper to make the movie. I mean, they, they could have just said it was... They didn't even have to say it. They, yeah. they, they didn't I guess to... they, make, they make people younger all the time, don't they? Yeah, they didn't even have to say his age. Mm, you know, yeah. It's not like that was a big True. deal. okay. The other, some of the other things that they get wrong are some of the characters in the movie. Okay, the number one one that I want to ask about um, is the Olympic sniper, Mustafa. So... The Syrian guy. He's completely made up. What? Um, he wasn't, he didn't exist. No it, Olympic sniper. No Olympic sniper. So, the character of Mustafa in the movie is based on a sniper that was in Iraq... And his name was Juba. Mm-hmm. And we're pretty sure that Juba was a bunch of different Iraqi snipers that they were using. When I say they, I mean like the Iraqi insurgency was using to kind of build up this myth, you know, propaganda. Mm-hmm. So it was a bunch of different Iraqi snipers and they were killing U.S. soldiers. They took all those kills and they made them into like one propaganda sniper. And they do talk about him in the book. They talk about this Syrian sniper that was, you know, out there shooting soldiers and everything like that. Chris Kyle never comes into contact with him ever. And they're pretty sure that at least one of those snipers or the one of the guys that they think was Juba was killed by another sniper later on in the in, in the fighting. Right. So Chris Kyle didn't know anybody that was killed by Juba. He may have. So he may have known or interacted with some of the Marines or mm-hmm. people that were killed by either one or the guy named Juba, but he was never, he was never in direct contact. There was never a sniper off. There was never a sniper V sniper mm-hmm. ever. And his name in the movies, Mustafa and in real life, it was okay. Juba. So anytime that he's that, that the Iraqi or that Syrian sniper is like parkouring across the buildings mm-hmm. and they're, he's getting calls on his cell phone to go and do this and it's like him versus Chris and it's like very personal. Mm-hmm. It, it just didn't exist okay. like that. It never existed. But anytime he's there, it's just all all false. Mm-hmm. One of the other things they get wrong is they completely leave out his first deployment. So in the movie, he they show him going to Iraq four times. Mm-hmm. He does go to Iraq four times. But in the movie, they portray his first deployment as Fallujah. When he, they're, you know, they're kind of in the back of that truck talking about how they're going to protect the Marines on Overwatch as they clear mm-hmm. houses. Mm-hmm. And that's when he starts kind of getting all of his sniper kills. Well, mm-hmm. that's not accurate. That was actually his second deployment. His first deployment was in the invasion in 2003. And he wasn't a sniper yet. He went to sniper school after his first deployment. So they, they rearranged some things in the movie to make him seem like because he is known as a sniper, right. but his first deployment was in the invasion, and we'll get we'll get into what year was what year was the second one? It was two thousand and five is when he was in Fallujah in okay. 03 Whenever he was okay. in the invasion, and then some of the other things, some of the other seals on his team are shown being with him from the beginning all the way through, mm-hmm. and I get why they do that to make them more important, and they're they're kind of big characters mm-hmm. in the book as well. But yeah, because you want to kind of become attached to certain characters before they're killed, don't you? Y- yes, but a lot of them were not there all the way through. They were newer guys on the team who came late, later mm-hmm. on. So, um, 
Do you know what his wife in real life has thought about the movie and said about the movie? I don't know exactly what she has said about the movie. I, I'm trying to remember because I have watched some things that she had said. I think she kind of said what I had said, how they captured the essence of Chris. And they did a really good job portraying okay. him and paying the respect to him. But I don't remember what she said directly about how they told the story. I wonder how she thought about how she felt about her part in it. I know that she met with Sienna Miller, mm-hmm. and they talked about, you know, and and she told her things about her and Chris and their relationship. And when you read the book, the book is split up into kind of it's written in two parts. Chris tells his story, and then usually every chapter, or you know, roughly every chapter, there's like a section written by Taya kind of her thoughts on what was going on during that time and how she was seeing Chris change mm-hmm. and, you know, her thoughts on his military service and things like that. And I think they capture that pretty well. I, f- I kind of found, well, f- from how the movie showed it, it looked like he, until the end when he started, you know, that rehab and started really kind of getting himself back. Um, but th- throughout his deployments, it just seemed as though he was only really, truly kind of, I don't, I, can't, I don't know that you can call it happy, but he seemed happy when he was deployed. You know, he was super chatty. He was in his element. He was, like, alive. Whereas when he was at home, it was just like he was distant and not there and disengaged. And So that, I, I think, is pretty accurate. From what I've read about Chris and in the book and some other things, he always viewed his service as the as the most most important thing well the second most important thing because he says it he says it in the movie and he says it in the book a lot he has god country family mm-hmm. those are those are his rankings and wow. he talks about it in the book and i wish they kind of would have said it later on in the movie to show to help show his change later on the book he talks about when he got out of the military the hard time he had rearranging that order mm-hmm. to god family country right and that's when he finally realized his priorities in that order mm-hmm. is what kind of helped him start the process of recovering from the kind of deployment mode to mm-hmm. to the home mode. Okay. And in the movie they make it seem like he's and he he did suffer from PTSD. We we know and that, that was obvious. That was obvious, but it wasn't I don't think he really struggled with it in the way they portray it in the movie until he got back. Because he was always still in the military, and so in his mind, I mean, in his mm-hmm. mind, he, he wasn't struggling with it because his ranking was God, country, family. Mm-hmm. So as long as he's in the military, his ranking system, mm-hmm. his priorities in his mind are are accurate. Mm-hmm. So people on the outside can see the change in him, but he wasn't struggling with it because his priority list. Right. I mean, do you think that you know there was that scene with the dog with the child? Um, I can't. Where he kind of nearly punched the dog yeah i can't remember exactly if if that they talk about that scene in the book or if that was like told like a story later on to put in the movie but that could definitely happen i don't necessarily have a problem with with that scene you see it whenever he's driving Mm -hmm. when he's home he's always checking his mirrors and and like yeah and seeing the war and the blank screen of the tv right yeah exactly Uh, things like those are all accurate representations of things that so that would, I mean, if he was experiencing those things, that would suggest that he did have PTSD, wouldn't it? Well, we, I'm, we, I'm, I'm pretty positive that he suffered from some PTSD because there's some things that he said later on after he was out of the military that are pretty much completely made up. 
Um, they don't feature them in the movie, mm-hmm. but he said he got into a bar fight with Jesse Ventura one time. That never happened. And Jesse Ventura sued. Oh, really? Yes, and he won for defamation of character. Right, it right. was made up. Chris said that after Hurricane Katrina, him and another SEAL sniper went to New Orleans and posted up on like a building to stop looting and robbers, and they mm-hmm. shot a whole bunch of like people. We're 99% positive that never happened, right. ever. And he also said that he was robbed at gunpoint in a gas station where he shot the two guys who were trying to rob him. And the police showed up, and he they basically told him, like, you're good, like, we'll cover for so you. So is lying a symptom? So I think it's, it is lying, but I think it's things that he, that you think about that due to the PTSD can manifest kind themselves in such memory. a, and create these false memories mm. to the where they actually believe that these things happened. And they can tell you in detail about these false memories. Right. And then, but they're, but they never happened ever. And that definitely happened to Chris. It's been proven over did and he, over. Did he shoot um, any children when he was out there for real? So he did shoot some young people, but I don't ever remember any him shooting any children. In the movie, that opening scene, mm-hmm. and it cuts away, and then it goes back to it later on in the movie when he shoots the, that mom and son. Mm-hmm. In real life, there was no child there. It was just just the mom i mean i I don't know she was mom it was just a woman okay it was just a woman and so they do that to like portray how serious you know it is he and he and the scene where the little boy picks up the rocket launcher that happens later on as well he drops it and and runs away so we'll just kind of start kind of at the beginning of chris's military service a little bit before so he was a cowboy from texas Mm -hmm. he was working on a ranch Whenever he decided that he was going to join the military and... Was he a Longhorn? So he didn't go to the University of Texas, but there's a lot of people who support them regardless. I think he he went to a couple... He had the baseball cap on, didn't he? Yeah, he wore the Longhorn cap in in the movie. I don't know if he did. Maybe he did. There might be some pictures of him wearing the Longhorn hat. He did a couple years at, I think, Tarleton, which is another college in Texas, but he he never graduated. And so he was a cowboy working on a ranch for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then he had always wanted to join the military. And at a certain point when he was cowboying, he decided that he wanted to join the military. So the, it wasn't the trade sent the, the um, planes into the So in the movie, it's an attack on one of the U.S. embassies. I can't remember exactly what country it was. Somewhere in the Middle East. Oh, that was the first thing, wasn't it? That's yeah, the first okay. thing. So he enlisted in 1999. So the, mm. September 11th was in 2001. Yeah. So in the movie, they portray that there was this attack that inspired him to join the military. In real life, he had always wanted to join the military. And he had gone to a re- recruiting uh, place, and a recruitment office, excuse me. And the the Marine or the Army recruiter was like out to lunch or something like that. And the Navy recruiter was like, hey, come talk to me. And told him about the SEALs and he wanted to be you know elite. And so he, he ended up joining the SEALs. In the movie, they show him basically like going straight to BUDS, which is called Basic Underwater Demolitions. Mm-hmm. And that's not exactly how it works. In the Navy, you have to go, you have to pick a, what we call MOS, like your job in the military, and go through that train. So basic Navy, like basic training for the Navy. Then you have to go through your 
AIT, which is like your advanced individual training. So like for your job specifically. And then after you complete that, then you would go to BUDS. And so it's like if you wash out of BUDS, you have a job that you have to fulfill your contract. So you would just go back to your normal job in the, right. in the Navy, you know, swabbing the deck or whatnot. I think, I think uh, Chris's job was in, in military intelligence. So he would have gone, done, done okay. that if he had failed BUDS. Is that fa- be- failing becoming a, a SEAL? Yes, if he had failed right. becoming a SEAL, then he would have gone to Navy, Navy intelligence. And did he actually um, get married? Get married just before he deployed? Yes. So he, the way he meets Taya in the movie is most mostly accurate. I mean, the conversation they have is like almost like word for word from from the book about her sister dating a seal and him kind of convincing her that you know he's a good guy and stuff like that. And they started dating while he was doing his advanced training because you have buds, which is like the Navy SEAL basic training, then you have another advanced course that the seals go through that kind of gets their advanced individual training for being SEALs, and then they go off and do other schools to make them these elite, well-trained, well-trained soldiers. And so they they met during that time. And then basically right after he got married is when uh, he shipped off to his his first deployment, and she was was pregnant. And they did have two children, I'm guessing. They did have two children, Mm -hmm. yes. So kind of the home stuff is is more or mm-hmm. less accurate. It's it's really what he does in Iraq. So his first deployment is not covered at all in the movie. They skip it completely. Okay. And the first deployment was in the invasion when the U.S. is invading Iraq. Right. And he fought in two major kind of battles in the invasion. The first one was the Battle of Al-Fall, mm-hmm. which is like the waterway that kind of, um, it's like a shipping canal. Iraq only touches the Persian Gulf like in this one itty bitty tiny little strip, and so they've dug a canal from the river down so that they can receive and, and do shipping through that area. Mm-hmm. There's oil platforms, and that's kind of where the oil refineries are and things like that. And the first Gulf War, they set those all on fire, and it was like raining oil down everywhere. And so their goal for this attack was to seize all the oil platforms, seize all the oil refineries, and seize that area so that the Iraqis couldn't destroy the oil and set it all on fire. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like a natural catastrophe when oil's raining down all over the place. Also, some people could say, because we wanted the oil. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But regardless, it was a strategic Mm -hmm. point that needed to be taken from a war, from a battle aspect. Who owns that oil now? Iraq. Okay. So... The SEAL teams, the Polish Special Forces, which are called GROM, and British Special Forces, the Commandos, they attack from sea, air, and land under these oil platforms and this oil reserves, and they they fight their way on, and, and there's a battle there, and, and they take the whole area, and they secure it. Then they move up north to this place called Nasiria, which is kind of along the way to Baghdad. So they're kind of securing these points so that the supply chain and other troops can move up towards Baghdad. Mm-hmm. And Nasiria, there's stiff resistance in Nasiria. There's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of fighting along the canal itself. And Chris is engaged in, in a lot of battles there. Nasiria is also where uh, Jessica Lynch was captured. Have you heard of Jessica Lynch? No. So it was this army convoy that took a wrong turn and went into an unheld or un-US held part of the city 
and got separated and cut off. Now, part of the convoy was able to break through, but part of it was cut off, surrounded, and they were either all killed or captured. And then I think later on that year, the next year, something like that, there was a special forces Delta SEAL team and a few other people that did a raid and capture and and rescued Jessica Lynch and and brought her back. And then that so took, Jessica Lynch was in she, the military. She was a private in the in the in the army. Mm-hmm. She was like a truck driver. Okay. And she was captured. And then there's this whole big mess of things that happened afterwards where the military tried to kind of use her as like a propaganda tool. And they told her story and they got a whole bunch of things wrong. And it turned into this whole mess. And she ended up having to testify about these things. And she never wanted to be that way. It's a big, it's a big propaganda mess from the military standpoint. But that's where she was captured. Chris wasn't involved in that directly. There's fighting all over the place. But that's kind of his first deployment is an initial push into Iraq involved in the fighting in kind of southern, like kind of southeast Iraq and taking the oil platforms, taking the uh, city of Nasiriyah. And he's engaged in a lot, a lot of heavy fighting in that area. And then he comes home after that. And then he goes to sniper school. So then he becomes a sniper. So his first deployment, oh, right. I, okay. I say regular SEAL. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are really no regular yeah, <laughs> SEALs, yeah. but he was just a team member. So then we get to the second deployment, which is the Battle of Fallujah. And this is kind of where the movie kicks off with his deployments. And the scene where he shoots the woman with the grenade in front of the tank and everything like that, that really happened. That really happened. Okay. The rest of the time in Fallujah is made up of him doing a lot of sniper things, which he obviously did. But the way they portray it's all wrong. You know, he he went there a little bit earlier and was doing some things with some Polish special forces, and then the Marines kind of got involved, and then the rest of his team showed up, and they were kind of working as a team there. The Battle of Fallujah, in the initial invasion, we took Fallujah, which is kind of west of Baghdad. And that was taken by the 82nd Airborne, and it was secured. The The whole entire invasion took like just over or just under a month. We defeated Saddam's entire military and took control of the country in a month. Then the insurgency started. And then Al-Qaeda started putting fighters into Iraq and then a bunch of other kind of terrorist cells started popping up and then the local insurgency itself. Now, after the 82nd went home from their deployment, Fallujah was taken over by the 1st Marine Division and secured by them. Well, by that time, the invasion was over and so they were trying to kind of put an Iraqi face on the war. You know, the Iraqi government is having elections and the Iraqi people are are starting to get back to normal life and the Iraqi police and the Iraqi army are taking over. That's what kind of like the propaganda that was trying to be pushed. It didn't really work, especially from like an Iraqi military standpoint. They weren't very good soldiers. And so Fallujah gets taken over by insurgents, Al-Qaeda-led insurgents, and then so the 1st Marine Division has to go back in there and retake Fallujah. And they do this by basically sweep cordoning off the city, basically blocking off all the routes so no one can get in or out. And then they drop all these flyers saying, if you're not a combatant, leave and everything like that. So they're operating under the ROE, uh, which is Rules of Engagement, of that 
anybody left in the city is considered a fighter. Is considered a fighter. Mm-hmm. Now they know that there's still some people not, and so they're still kind of on the lookout for that. Mm-hmm. But military-aged men with weapons are all considered mm-hmm. combatants, and the Marines are going to go house to house and basically sweep through the city, rooting out every insurgent. And that's why Chris gets a lot of kills because he's up in Overwatch areas, mm-hmm. look you know, like they portrayed in the movie. Some mm-hmm. of this is some of this is accurate, where the Marines are clearing the houses and he's looking out for other snipers and you know guys with rocket propelled grenades and just fighters in, in general. And he starts racking up a, a lot of kills. And in the movie, they portray it as he like goes down to the street, you know, like to help like. Yeah, I was going to ask if that helped, that happened in real life. That does happen in real life. He does he does go down there and start clearing houses with the Marines. Mm-hmm. But he's in the movie they they make this big deal of him being like wanting to get down there to help the Marines and like help them. And then them. he takes charge. And then he takes charge. But the first house they clear in the movie is the one with the sheik in it. Mm-hmm. And then it goes off and the seals do like do their own thing about capturing this guy named Zarkawi. So he doesn't actually, in the movie, he doesn't actually do really anything with the Marines on the ground right. to, you know, help keep them alive. He goes off and does SEAL team things to try and get this high-value target. In the book, he does a lot of clearing with the Marines and showing them some things and helping them okay. out and things like that. Now, Zarqawi is a real guy. He was the face of Al-Qaeda, one of the faces of Al-Qaeda in Iraq. There's some debate on, on his importance, you know, how high-level he was. But he was an Al-Qaeda, high-level Al-Qaeda operative in Iraq, kind of coordinating the insurgency, especially the foreign, the foreign fighters coming into Iraq at that time from Syria, Jordan, and and, and everywhere else. In the movie, it's like the SEALs are going to go and get him. That That never happens. It's all made up for the movie. His job is an Overwatch sniper, and he goes down, and he helps the Marines in the street, and they get into multiple fights and, and, and all of that, but he never they never like meet up with the CIA and they never go meet with the Sheik and they never go and try and like do these special operations to, to get him. It, they do, but not Chris's unit. Right, okay. And there are also some intelligence to say that Zarqawi left Fallujah before the battle even started. He was never there during the battle okay. and when they were looking for him. And this guy named the the, the butcher, butcher with the drill mm-hmm. There is a guy that they kind of call the butcher of Fallujah, but he's nothing like, he's nothing like what they portray okay. in the movie. And did Chris Carl have anything to do with him? No. Okay. No. It, it, it's. It, I mean, his interaction with those characters is all is all made up. It's all okay. it's all fiction. Okay. Now, Zarqawi was later killed in Iraq. They they tracked him to like a meeting house and then they bombed it and they they killed him. And the guy who's considered like the butcher. He's later caught by some SEALs, but not Chris's team. And then he's tried for war crimes and then hung by the Iraqi court system. Right. So. Okay. And the, and the deployment, it's more what you would call standard operating, you know, like mission style. There's no like special SEAL team missions that they're running in, in Fallujah on their own just by themselves at, at this point in time on the first, first deployment. They're. They're doing specialized missions, which in his case is sniping, because he's a sniper. And this is where he starts really racking up a whole a whole lot of kills. So it's they they pick they cherry pick little things that mm-hmm. actually happen in the book and they just kind of sprinkle them into the fake story that's going on in the in right. the movie. So um 
sometimes he was working by himself without a buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said that that was for sniper for sniper seals that that would be something that was done, but it wasn't something that you ever did. So, so and he talks about this in the book. So seal snipers, when I say working by themselves, I mean he is on the gun and he's doing all of the shooting and spotting by himself. Right. There would always be other people there with him. Whenever it just shows him in a room by himself and there's no one else uh-huh. around, is completely inaccurate. Oh, they would okay. always have people there to provide security. And also, he, they would work in shifts. So there would be one sniper who's like sleeping, and then there'd be one sniper on the gun. Right. And then they would swap shifts and, and things like oh, that. So but they he wouldn't were, be the only sniper. No, he, yeah, there's a few scenes where he's just by himself mm-hmm. there for hours. It, it would never happen. It would never happen like that. And right. it didn't. It didn't happen like that. Now, in the army, we always have two guys watching at the same time a spotter. And a shooter. And sometimes the spotter is using like a big spotting scope because it can power down farther mm-hmm. than the than the rifle scope can. And other times, depending on the situation, we would have the spotter using a just a different sniper rifle. Mm-hmm. We've been using his scope as the spotting scope and his role is just the spotter. Depends on, you know, what we're doing and, and things of that nature. And in the army, if we're using two rifles... One would be using like a bolt action high powered rifle, and then one would be using like the semi automatic kind of mid, you know, more or less mid powered. So you have multiple capabilities all there to be able to provide different types of fire. The SEALs kind of do it do it a little bit a little bit differently. Okay. But there would always be a security element there. And they talk about in the book, they clear the and sometimes they show it, but the scenes where he's just by himself, it wouldn't it never would have um, never would have been like and that. And what about um how they there's a like a they keep a record of the kills is that is that actually available for anybody and everybody to see a certain soldier's kills no so so what they're talking about there and like the kill is going to be like on his what we call a dd214 which is like your resume of your army mm-hmm. and it's like the official count and so to get a confirmed sniper kill someone else has to be there to verify it right and to see it and then mm-hmm. He would put it down in his after-action report, and he he says one little line about it in the movie, but in the book he talks about how keeping like like a kill record, like a shot record, mm-hmm. so that basically to protect him in case there was ever like any doubt as to who he shot, or there was like, yeah, and it happened yeah, a couple times that. in the movie, mm-hmm. and and that is accurate. Like when he's talking to those officers in the in the in the office mm-hmm. and they're saying you know saying it, he, the guy was holding the Quran. Right, yeah, that's in the book. He shoots right. he shoots a guy carrying an AK forty seven and they record it and he has witnesses and everything like that. And then mm-hmm. later on someone says, Oh well his wife said he was carrying a Quran and he's like, Well I've got this I've got my shot I, record right here. I don't know what a Quran looks like. Yeah. But I know what a rifle looks like. I know what like. an AK forty seven yeah I mean he knows what a Quran looks like too but he's just Yeah yeah yeah. He, but um mm-hmm. but like he did that so he could protect himself from like military you know, accusations and, and, and okay. things of that nature. Um, how much time, so he was deployed the four times, how much time would he, because obviously they can't really show the time in the movie, well, they didn't in the movie here, mm-hmm. how much time is in between deployments? So it, var- it varies. So I think, so he enlisted in 1999 and he got out in 2009. So he did 10, 10 years of service. And within that time, he did four deployments. He did the 03 invasion. He did 05 in Fallujah. I think he did 06 in Ramadi. And I think 
he did Seder. When was the Battle of Seder City? That was in 2008. Okay. So from 03 to 08. And, he are, did, they, and are they nine-month deployments, so a year yeah. deployments? So the, the different branches do the, the deployments differently, and they're always kind of changing. The Army has very long deployments. At this time, they were either, they started out as a year, and then they bumped them up to like 15 months. Some mm-hmm. people were doing like 18-month deployments in Iraq and Afghanistan. The Navy Marines do shorter deployments, and then the Special Forces do even shorter deployments. Which but is what he was. He, yeah, yeah. so right, he, okay. Navy SEAL would be in the Special he, special Operations mm-hmm. community. But at that time, he was doing nine-month deployments. Some of them are a little bit shorter, some of them are a little bit longer, just for various reasons of moving troops around and what was going on. But more or less, he was doing nine nine-month deployments, which nine-month deployments is basically what everyone does now because they realize that 15-month deployments is is too long for soldiers to be in country. It leads to a lot of other problems. So after Fallujah, he comes home and then there's that's like kind of like when his baby is born and his wife is kind of starting to realize, you know, like he's changing a little bit. Mm-hmm. And some of that stuff is true and like like we talked about earlier he he didn't really view it like that because of his priorities but on the outside especially his wife could kind of see him not really liking being home okay. and his his kind of mindset about that was is his job is to kill the bad guys and protect his soldiers and if he's if he's home he can't do that mm-hmm. and chris was very almost religious about it he was almost religious about his deployment. You know, he has the Crusader cross tattooed on his arm. They're fighting the Muslim insurgency. He's viewing it, you know, it's a jihad. So it's a religious war from their, from their side. And he's viewing it as an attack on his religion. He's viewing it as an attack on his culture. And he views himself as almost a righteous a righteous warrior. Mm-hmm. And so he can't fight this war if he's at home. Right. And so he is always wanting to go back. I mean, just from that aspect of how the movie has got him right, his personality right, do you think that maybe he would have been happy with that part of it? There are certain aspects. Like I said, his portrayal of himself mm-hmm. as just like who he is, I think he'd be very happy with. I think mm-hmm. they capture Chris Kyle very, very well. You get that in the book yeah. and from ha- how he was talking. He In the movie, he uses the word savages a lot. Mm-hmm. And he referred to them as savages mm-hmm. all the time. And he talks about the evil, seeing the evil. Uh-huh. He talks about that in the book all the time. You know, seeing, I, I'd never seen evil like that before. These people are evil and, and, and Did he like, tell his therapist that um, he wasn't disturbed by the amount of kills that he had had, but by those that he hadn't saved? I don't know if there's an exact scene in the book with the therapist, although he does go and see one la- later mm-hmm. on. But I, I didn't really like that. And, and so he does say this in the movie. He says that I'm okay with all the kills mm-hmm. that I've done. And I'm glad they said that because the way they're portraying him is he's like having this kind of like breakdown from from what, the killing. From the killing. Mm-hmm. And he never expresses any type of remorse ever for the kills yeah. and, and the combat. I think what more he suffered from was the death. The death of the soldiers. Not the killing of the, of the insurgents. Right. 
I think that's kind of what really messed with him because never ever did he ever express remorse. Do you really for... think that that can really not affect somebody though? Regardless of whether he thinks they're evil or whether it's the right thing to do. I think it I think it can. I think it does. It just depends on the individual and how much they're exposed to it and things of that nature. And I'm sure it did affect him. I'm sure it affected him in ways that he didn't really realize. But I do think that he truly believed what he did was good. And he did not feel remorse for yeah, doing that it. Yeah, that wasn't guilt that was eating him up right the guilt that was eating him up was the guys that he couldn't save the guys that died under his watch right the guys the all US that were soldier. still dying when he wasn't out there exactly i think that's kind of like i said every person is different everyone deals with these things separately in different ways and are affected by different things in different ways but him specifically i think that the killing was not really what was kind of eating at him i think it was the death and the guys that he couldn't save mm -hmm. while he wasn't in country mm-hmm what about his brother? Did Was his brother really serving at the same time? Um, was it, Do you think that that was accurate about how his younger brother was smaller and he kind of protected him at school? And Yes. So I, I think his relationship with his brother's fairly well portrayed. His brother did join the Marines. His, brother's his brother deployed to Iraq during that time and, mm -hmm. and, and fought in, in Iraq. Uh, I don't exactly remember how his brother was affected i don't remember that scene there is no scene of him finding his brother on the tarmac like loading up on the plane to leave i just don't remember exactly you know how the war affected his brother but his brother was a marine his brother was a cowboy his brother you know looked up to him and he kind of felt like he had to protect his brother and things like so I, I don't really have any issue with that other than that the scene that he's like his brother is all kind of you can see he's like war weary. Mm -hmm. That that just didn't okay. didn't happen the way it did. I'm not saying it didn't happen. Maybe they told a story and they're like, okay, how can we fit this into the, yeah? Into the but movie? he didn't he didn't like stumble across him when they were out there and no. see him as he was no, leaving. That, yeah, that never happened. Right. And yeah, so now we're kind of getting to his third deployment, which is the Battle of Ramadi, which is another city, kind of near Fallujah, and. After they pushed the insurgencies out of Fallujah, a lot of them went to Ramadi. And they started doing very similar things that they did in Fallujah. This time it was with the army. And they're kind of setting up... Is, little... are you, are you, is this what they were doing in the movie? Or is this in real life? So this is in real life. Okay. In the movie, the third deployment is very, very short in the in the film. Right. In, the, in real life, they're... It's not quite like the Marines were doing it, you know, like street by street, house by house. The army was kind of setting up areas. We're going to control this area, send up patrols. We're going to control this area, send up patrols. And then we're going to link them, and then we're going to kind of do it do it that way. Mm -hmm. But his role was very, very similar to, to what he was doing in Fallujah. A lot of sniper overwatch, a lot of moving around on buildings, okay. getting into a lot of contact, pushing out way far beyond the line, giving intel and, you know, being like a, a, a spotter and you know, scouting out mm -hmm. the area. They would go out, get up on a building with a bunch of SEALs and some other guys for support and basically do overwatch until they drew a whole bunch of enemy to them and get in this big firefight and then call on air support and, you know, kill all kill okay. all of them. And help and then the army would move up into that area to provide support and then they'd secure that area. That's a little simplistic, but that's kind of an idea of, of what they were doing in Ramadi. So this um might seem like a really stupid question but um why 
have they got Navy SEALs far inland? <laughs> well, you're asking a valid question. Okay. The Shouldn't re- they be by the sea? They should. Okay. They should. The, and you could say the same thing about the Marines. Why mm-hmm. are the Marines in mm-hmm. Iraq? And this is a very big question that a lot of people have different answers to. So okay. I will give you my opinion on the matter. It has to do with the amount of troops the military has and the budget that each of those branches have. Mm-hmm. So they're saying that the army doesn't have enough men and budget, essentially, to cover all these areas. So they're going to supplement that with the Marines. And then they're going to supplement that with Navy Special Forces and and work okay. together. In my opinion, the Navy is the sea, and the Navy SEALs are the special forces for the sea. So they should be doing, like in the invasion, seizing those oil platforms, doing doing those mm-hmm. types of things. Like the Captain Phillips, right? When Captain Phillips was taken, they sent Navy SEALs mm-hmm. to be on the boat to, to take mm-hmm. out. The, that's kind of a tradi- more tradi- specialty. That's their specialty. They're mm-hmm. And there's sea, air, and land. That's what SEAL stands for. So they can do things on the land, but they're supposed to be mainly water-based, doing things around the water. Okay. And their role has drastically changed because of Iraq and Afghanistan. They've become this, like, specialty direct action force, and they're great at it. But in my opinion, that's the Army's job is the land. So the Army Special Forces should be doing this stuff on, on the land and things of that nature. And then if there's a certain thing they need on the water, you know, that kind of thing, then you bring in, like, Navy SEALs or the Marine mm-hmm. Recon. The Marines themselves, Marines protect the boats of the Navy, and then they seize beachheads. That's what the Marine specialty is. And that's why in, like, the Pacific in World War II, the Marines were mm-hmm. in the Pacific because that's what they do. They get ferried around by the Navy. They take the islands. They hold them. And they move to the next one. And it's a very important job. Mm-hmm. But Iraq and Afghanistan is almost all land. I think it should have been all Army. And if the Army doesn't have the budget, then you just need to make the Marine budget smaller and <laughs> make the Army budget bigger. Now, there's a lot of people who disagree with me on that. That's mm-hmm. just my That's just my opinion. Because you have a lot of this like cross, it's, it's competition for the budget. Right. right. The Marines want a bigger budget. The Navy wants a bigger budget so they can do more. And if they can show. Because it, I mean, is it all different commanders and all different. Um, yes. So it kind of makes it a lot more complicated. Yes. The budget comes from Congress. And so the like Navy SEALs, the Navy will use the SEALs of what they're doing in Iraq to show Congress like, hey, we need more money because the SEALs are, are so important in what we're doing over here. So then they get more money. And then the Army's like, hey, look what we're doing over here. This is really, really important. We need more money because we need this and we need you know, this. Mm-hmm. A very like, a very simplistic version of it. That's kind of how I look at it. Mm-hmm. They all, all of these branches have different roles and those roles are important. And when you start bleeding out into these other, other roles that the other branches do... You don't really need that. So if that's extra fat on the budget, cut that off and give it to the people who are actually supposed to be doing that job in the first place. So there's probably some Navy SEALs that might listen to this and not not like that. <laughs> I'm not diminishing what they did. They've all done incredible, amazing, important things. That's just a broad scale, mm-hmm. a broad scale view of a very complicated situation mm-hmm. that the simplifying it. Yeah, and trying to and trying to simplify it. Mm-hmm. So in the Battle of Ramadi in the movie, they show Chris putting together this like direct action force to take on the Butcher and Zarqawi because they've moved to Ramadi now. Mm-hmm. That never happened. 
did not happen. Okay. At night when they go to that man's house and they find all the stockpile mm-hmm. of weapons, that never happened. Okay. They raid that building. They get in the shootout in the street. That never happened. It That's just made up. And that's why I think in the movie his third deployment is so short because they ran out of fake stuff to do. Right. And they could, and I also get why they wanted to change it up because they're doing very similar things in Ramadi that they were doing in Fallujah, but it's it's mainly just made up. Now in Ramadi, is where he starts getting some long distance kills. He gets one that's like almost a mile. There's a guy on a there's some Iraqis up on a hill, and they think they're too far away to be shot, and. They've got RPGs and AK-47s and things like that. And Chris makes this super, super long okay. shot. So in the movie, that's when he kills Mustafa, when he makes that extra long shot that they didn't think Right, so that, that's that's a different shot, and we'll get to that later on. Oh, okay. But, like, competition with another one of the sniper, or SEAL snipers, who can get the, who can get the most. Oh, okay, in real life. In real life. Right. And then Chris starts pulling away. And pulling away as in, like, getting, getting a, lot a lot more. more I getting see. a lot more kills. Okay. And in the movie, they, in his third deployment, it's a lot more direct action, right? He's carrying a smaller weapon, not a sniper rifle, and he's running missions and and things like that. Well, they really only show, like, little bits of sniping. He was sniping all the time. All the time. I mean, that's how he got so many kills in in the first place. I don't know. I kind of thought that the movie was showing him sniping all the time. To me, it looked like he was. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess. I guess. I just... It should have been more. It should okay. it should have been more. I guess is my my deployment or my my deployment my <laughs> my point. <laughs> so, in Ramadi, is where his two friends get get shot. And in the movie, they show this how they so get. So the sh- one guy that gets shot in the face, and yes. then and then his other friend. I can't yeah. remember so his the, name. So the, his the, um his name is Ryan. Job or Ryan Job, I think, is, mm-hmm. his, is his real name. He could, but in, he goes by Biggles. And yes. in the movie, they call him Biggles. Yes. And then the other guy who gets shot, his name is Mark Lee. And those guys are real guys. They okay. were friends of Chris Kyle in SEAL Team 3. But when I said earlier that some of the guys weren't really like around yet, those two guys were newer guys. This was both their first deployment. Oh, okay. So they were not in his first two deployments. They were new guys to the team and they were friends of Chris. And they because you said it doesn't usually work when you go when you when you're deployed multiple times that you get deployed with the same people each time. Does that it doesn't work like that? No. So it sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. In the special operating community, there's going to be a lot of the same guys because they're more a smaller unit. Okay. They're going to they're not going to be moved around. They're not like like a lot of the uh, kind of more normal units are. So a lot of the same guys are there. Okay. But those two specifically and a few other ones were. We're not there for the or the first two deployments. Now they are, they are both shot in the same way that they are in the movie. But in the movie, the first guy gets shot by Mustafa, right? Yes. They're out on patrol, and in real life now, and Biggles gets shot, and it goes off his feed tray and into it into his face. And they secure the area, and they they take him back. What's the feed tray? The, sorry, the feed tray. So he's carrying what we what in the army we would call a saw. In the navy, they call it like a Mark Forty Eight. It's a machine gun that fires really, really, really fast. Right. And the feed tray is 
where <laughs> the the box of ammo mm-hmm. that sticks out from the side of the gun, and then the belt of the bullets lays over the top of it, okay. and then you, you close this <laughs> I other... I was picturing when you said feed tray, something that was strapped to his helmet that his food was in, yes. <laughs> so he could eat. We all it. have these food trays that hang out in front of our helmets when we're, when we're out and about, <laughs> just in case you want a little snack. <laughs> and that's what the bullet hit, and then went into his face. Yeah. So... <laughs> There's this lever on the top of the gun that you close down on top of the bullets to secure it so it can fire. Okay. That's called the, and then the, well, technically there's a little piece of metal on the side that's called the feed tray. And the bullet hits it and ricochets into his face and they think he's going to die. And they take him and he's shipped off to Germany where the army hospital for people who are wounded in combat, if they can get him to Germany, their, their chances of survival skyrockets. And... He survives, so that but this, oh, because he dies in in the movie. Well, he dies later on. Remember, oh, he see he goes to yeah. see him in the hospital. Yes. So does he die later on in real he, life? He does die later on in real life. Uh, okay. But uh, he doesn't die. He dies after Chris is out of the military. Of this, of like something that's related to that injury, or yeah. So he's in real life. Biggles is recovering. He's blind, mm-hmm. and. He's going into, like, routine surgery, and it's a preventable death, really. The doctors do something wrong, and he, he ends up dying in the surgery. And I can't right. remember exactly what went wrong, but it's he shouldn't he shouldn't have died. Right, but okay. Now, back to the movie and real life. He gets wounded, taken to, you know, the, the, the doctors, and then they shipped off. They fly him to Germany. Mm-hmm. They get back, and they're like, let's go out again. We're going to go back and we're going to get these guys for wounding our friend. Mm-hmm. They go back out. This part is portrayed pretty accurately as it ha- is in the book. They go to this building that they had some intel on and they're clearing it and they walk into an ambush. And Mark Lee is clearing a hallway and takes a shot right. He gets shot in the mouth and it comes out the back oh, of his of his skull goodness. and he dies instantly. Okay. And then they kind of get put on hold. You know, they're non-operational at, okay. at that point. Because I couldn't tell where they where he got shot in the movie. Yeah, in the movie it's a little chaotic because of the the way they mm-hmm. cut it. But they're clearing this house, and he comes out of a room to go down a hallway. Yes. And there's guys on the rooftop outside the uh-huh. building. They shoot through the window. Yes. And he gets shot like that. Okay, I it, just didn't see where on his body he'd been shot. Yeah, he get yeah. So I think he was shot multiple times, but the bullet that killed him is the one that went I see. went through his his skull. So they that little aspect is pretty accurate to what okay. what happened. And so he would have been with him at the time. Both of he, those guys at the yes, time. Yes, he was with them. He was with them at both those both those times. I think seeing his friend shot because he felt remorse for not having done enough to protect them because he at this point in time he is one of the older guys on the team. He is kind of in charge of the team. He's been promoted. Mm-hmm. And and then he sees two of his friends that, although they were kind of new to the team, he had bonded with really, really heavily. And they were really good friends. And so he, in a span of 24 hours, he, they, and so they also, they think Biggles is, is dead. They don't know that he survived until a couple of days later. They, in the span of 24 oh, right. hours, he thinks that he lost two of his best friends right, okay. in combat. I think that. It, oh, it, I didn't realize that that was within 24 hours. It's the same day. Oh, okay. It's the same day. I didn't realize that. It was just so much happening. It was hard to keep track of time on it. Yes. Um, did they get the 
the um, guns in uniform correct? Yes. Yeah, so the way they portray the equipment, mm-hmm. the way the men use the weapons is all great. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had And some, the vehicles were right? Mostly. So I was reading some things that some of the... This is really, really nitpicky stuff. Like the tank that they used... Like wasn't around yet at okay. that point in time, or some of the that I don't. That's you know not that big of a deal. They did a great job of portraying what they're wearing, how they carry their stuff, mm-hmm. the way they talk on the radio, their military operational style. It's Brilliant. all great. It's all great. People, different units do different things, and I was reading some things like some guys were like criticizing the way they carry their weapons in the hallway and the way they're clearing rooms. And I watched it and was looking out specifically for what they were talking about. I didn't see anything that I saw as egregious yeah. by, by any means. Do, do they usually have like ex-military um, on the film set advising them? Yes. So one of the guys in the movie mm-hmm. who is on the SEAL team, you may not, you may not remember him because it's a, it's a small part. He's always there, but it's kind of a small part. He's another one of the SEAL snipers, and at in his third deployment, when they're raiding that building at night, and there's one SEAL team sniper up in the building providing overwatch, and they shoot an RPG into the room, and he, die, he dives down onto the floor. Do you mm-hmm. remember that scene? Mm-hmm. The guy who played that character, and the... Um, I'm trying to think of another scene that, that you might recognize him in. He's, he's there all the whole time. Anyways. Right. Anyways, my point is, he's a real SEAL. He served with Chris Kyle and was on these deployments with oh, Chris wow. Kyle and was the advisor to the movie. Okay. And Bradley Cooper liked him so much. It was like, hey, like he went to Clint Eastwood and was like, I want you to try this guy out and see if he's good in front of the camera. Really? Oh, I, I want like, to go back and see now because I, like, I can't and, really picture him. In the movie, his nickname is Dabber and, okay. and his real name is Kevin L- uh, Lux or... I have to. It's Kevin something. I'm sorry, I couldn't can't remember his last name. But he served with Chris Kyle and was the advisor on the movie, and he has a wow. small role, which is okay. which is really cool. And the I'm sure he told them all, this is how you wear it. This is what we were wearing. Mm-hmm. I know for a fact that the the kit that Chris Kyle was wearing is called a Rhodesian Recon Vest, and he talks about that it's made by Eagle Industries. Shout out to Eagle Industries. But um, <laughs> it was super popular in the special operating community at that time. And he wears he wears it exactly like he would in like the pictures that show Chris wearing it. The little Punisher skull that they have mm-hmm. spray painted on everything. Mm-hmm. They did all that. They kind of nicknamed themselves the Punishers. Okay. And they spray painted. Was that from the series, the TV show? Well, the TV show? show the TV show hadn't come out yet, but it's from oh, a comic okay. book. Oh, so okay, all right. So the, that's what the TV show is based on. Yes, comic book. Yeah, I yeah, see. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. And so the, they, the way they carry the guns, the way they carry their equipment, the uniforms they're wearing, the way they maneuver and, and fight, it's all great. It all mm-hmm. looks real. It all looks real. Even, even like Chris wears this like armband with bullets in it. Chris really did that as well. I never wore like extra bullets on my arm the way he does and i also didn't use one of the rifles that he used but it's just all personal preference Mm -hmm. it's all personal preference but in the book he talks about how he fitted this like armband so he could have easy access to bullets and things like that and so they to the hat that he that bradley cooper wears in the movie when he's on deployment it's all accurate they get a ton of the they get a lot of the itty bitty little things right but then they get the big things wrong the weapons he carried are all accurate they're all exactly what he actually used 
from his M4 to the various sniper rifles that he uses in the army, or excuse me, in the military, it's all it's all accurate. So they, they get a lot of those things, a lot of those things right. Okay. After the Battle of Ramadi, he comes back home. This is really when Taya is like noticing that things are starting to change and home life you know they've got kids now he doesn't want to be there they don't know their father and they portray that fairly accurate in the movie i don't remember if it's like you know shot for shot what was in the book or Mm -hmm. what she described in her section of the book or anything like that but they kind of portray like there's a disconnect there now and his priorities are conflicting with her priorities and what she thinks his should be Mm -hmm. and what he thinks his should be Mm -hmm. and then and they talk about this in the in the book as well his fourth deployment was pretty... She wanted him to get out. I'm sure there's so many military families that can relate to this movie. Yeah, all of them. All, yeah, all, all of them. them. Mm-hmm. So, but he goes out to his fourth fourth deployment. And this is the battle or the siege of Seder City. Seder City is a kind of like a suburb of Baghdad. And there was some heavy insurgent fighting in that area. They're going out there to do what they do. He's a sniper. He's going to provide overwatch. And they're going to kill or capture the bad guys. And in the movie, they portray it as there's this sniper killing the army engineers who are setting up this barricade. And they're going to go out there and kill that sniper. Now, the first part of that is true the army was setting up this massive concrete wall to basically section off Mm -hmm. the areas of Seder City. And then they're going to basically make like a reservation. And everyone in this area is bad, and everyone on the outside is good, and now we're going to go in there and we're going to kill all the bad guys. Mm -hmm. And the engineers were getting shot trying trying to make this barricade. And so the SEAL team snipers and a few other snipers and things like that from other branches were all out there on Overwatch to protect okay, the so army. That was happening in real life. That was happening in real life. Mustafa or Juba was not was not there. Okay. The ending battle where they're on the rooftop and the mm-hmm. sandstorm coming in never happened. There there is a battle in the in the book that's similar. That's similar, but it doesn't happen in that same context. So doesn't he get shot in that battle? Yeah, in the in it's like in the middle of the sandstorm, he gets like shot in the chest. Yeah. Which he, he's he's wearing a plate carrier. It okay. would have just knocked him down. Okay, so he I mean, hasn't. It, um, he he was never kind of shot like and actually had a bullet go through him. No. in his time. He was he was he had a building fall on his legs one time that an RPG and and he was in a ton of fight, but I don't I don't think he was he was out and he was never wounded uh, okay. from a from a bullet. And. Does in, that does that make somebody feel guilty if they come away unwounded? Yes. Yes. I can guarantee you. Mm. It, yes, it, it'll make you feel guilty. And in Sayer City is when he gets his super super long shot. It's nothing like it is in the movie. It's not not sniper v sniper. He's overwatching a convoy that's driving down the road. And in the distance, he'd been watching a man who he had thought was spying on the American forces. And then as the convoy's coming, he picks up an RPG. And the shot is like 2,100 yards, so it's over a mile long. And Chris describes it as like the luckiest shot of his entire life. Everything, you know, just went right. The magic Mm -hmm. sniper gods, you know, kissed the bullet. And he makes this super, super long, long shot. 
to take out this guy who was going to shoot an RPG at the convoy. It wasn't a sniper who had killed his friends. Okay. And, you know, like like we said earlier, that he doesn't, okay. and it it didn't exist. I, but I, you can see why the movie does that, can't you? Oh, I, yeah, I can see why they did it, but it, it's just, I thought it was cheesy. The whole in I, I the battle at the end in the in the sandstorm I, I I can't stand it. It's so bad. It's so bad. They it just looks Hollywood to me. The other fighting, although it didn't like happen, it looks mm-hmm. real to me. Mm-hmm. They went full Hollywood at the mm-hmm. end. The 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 way they talk, the way the other snipers talk, and the it's just. And how they're shooting in the sandstorm and still killing bad guys. Yeah, just how drop- do they know who's who and who's they, like? It didn't happen. Right. It didn't happen. It, it, mm-hmm. it just yeah, they're, they're spraying bullets and they're dropping bad guys left and right. Un- you know, they they talk about running low on ammo. And they've they- managed to escape and they know where their vehicles are. And yeah. They- and he calls his wife in the middle of the battle. Yeah. And he's like, "I'm ready to come home now." Yeah. You know, and then so like- he never he never did that at any point in the middle of any battle. He so he did call his wife, which I. It it makes me mad that he that he did that. In the book, he talks about why he did it. I still disagree with it. He calls her while he's on operations on the sat phone and talks to her when like kind of like a lull in the battle. Mm-hmm. This is a stupid idea. I, right. I can't I can't believe he he actually did that. And there is a couple times where he's calling her, and something pops off, and he forgot to hang up the phone, and she sat there listening. To the whole battle. Oh, on... really? Okay, yeah. so she has, she did hear that. It it's not the same battle. Is that even allowed? No. 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 That sat phone is for like specific purposes, and mm-hmm. like if you're it, the sat phone is for like if your comms go down, and so that you can mm-hmm. call somebody to come and rescue you or to send support mm-hmm. or air support. Do many people use it for? calling home when they shouldn't i have never heard of anyone using this i didn't even like i, I never even had a sat phone okay they, um, in my entire time but he did have one he did have one yeah. and they are out there and people do have them and but i and he called his dad one time and there a battle popped off and he forgot to hang up when he was talking to his dad and his dad heard like this firefight i mean i can't imagine calling like my mom or you know my dad when I was out there and then something happens and then like worrying about, are they going to hear this? Could mm-hmm. they hear him die on the phone? Could his wife just been sitting there and he got shot and heard him die in combat? I mean, like I, he mm. did, he did do that. He did do that. I just, I just thought it was, but I think, um, obviously like you do kind of unreasonable things when you're in the middle of intense circumstances. Yes. I just don't let, so like he did actually call his wife while he was out on oper on, on an operation on a mission, but the way they portrayed it at the end when he's in the middle of a firefight they're trying to evac. Okay. There's a sandstorm coming in and he decides this is the good time to call his wife and tell her that he's ready to come home and had enough of battle. Yeah, but, I kind of thought that because um, I didn't know how he died in real life, so um, I thought okay, well this means that. He's gonna die. He's not now gonna come home. Now that he's said this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's just, it's just Hollywood trying to be dramatic, and it's stupid. Right. And then he runs, and they almost leave him, and he falls down because he got shot, and he leaves his rifle and he leaves his helmet on the ground and runs into the into a striker, and they and they take off. Mm-hmm. 
It just it never happened. It's a stupid thing to put in the movie. It's them showing mm-hmm. that he's leaving behind his old life in the military. He's coming home. Right. It's okay. their dramatic. It, it's just stupid. No one would do that. No one would just. But movies leave. seem to like doing that because they did that in um, Zulu as well, didn't they? What? Not Zulu. Uh, Battle of the Bulge, where they all put down their weapons and walked home. Yeah, it's just like a Hollywood trope. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I mean, Chris Kyle would never have left his weapon on the ground in the middle of a fight. There is one time in the book where they were in a building and he forgot his rifle in a room. They went back and grabbed it and they got back in the truck and they left. They were not under fire. They weren't anything like that. So like he did accidentally forget it one time and then they ran back in and got it and got back on the, on the trucks and left. But he never would have left his equipment on the ground mm-hmm. like that. If, if he could have said, so it's just, it's a bad scene okay. all around. It's, I can't stand watching that end fight scene. It's bad. In the movie, he comes home. He's out of the, he's out of the military now, and he's starting to readjust to home life, and he's having a little bit of a problem with that. And that's true. He did have, he did struggle with adjusting to home life because of the things that we talked about. His priorities, you know, God, country, family, and now it's God, family, country, and he hadn't been there very very much whether it's with training you know with the military being back home or on his deployments and so now you know he's trying to find work and he's doing different things and and he's struggling with his ptsd and 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 things of that nature he kind of begins to heal and he starts working with other veterans to help them heal and they show that in the movie he starts working with the wounded guys and and taking them shooting Mm -hmm. and and things like that. And he goes to see the therapist. And the therapist says, like, you know, would it surprise you to say that the military has you listed as having 160 confirmed kills? And we'll talk a little bit about the kills real quick before we get into the end of the movie and the end of his life. How many kills Chris Kyle has is this up for debate. The military credits him with 160. That's probably not the actual number for a number of reasons. One of them being... You only count confirmed kills. Mm -hmm. So, one, if he shot someone and no one saw it, that one wouldn't count. And two, if he shot someone and they were wounded and they crawled like behind like a wall and died, that That doesn't count count either. Right, which probably happens quite a bit. It would happen a lot. Mm -hmm. And so, his number is probably much, 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 much higher. And also... This is also his only his confirmed sniper kills. He also went out on missions when he wasn't in a sniper role and and would have have kills, in in that nature. So his 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 kill count is much much higher than 160. Mm-hmm. I can almost guarantee it. Now, back to the movie of him kind of working with these guys. He does a lot of other things. He starts a business where he trains people, contractors, military things like that, mm-hmm. and he begins to to heal. And get back to normal life. And his wife sees that and their relationship begins to mend and he begins to take an active part in his children's life. And and that kind of, I mean, I'm not saying that he stopped struggling with, you know, the war and his feelings, but it was, he was getting better. And then in February of 2013, he was helping out this former Marine named Eddie Ray Ralph and was taking him to his shooting range and that was just kind of one of the ways that he would take soldiers and kind of just talk to them and help and try and help them as best he can. He was with another guy. His name was Chad Littlefield 
and they were going together and they went out to the range and they got out of the truck and they were walking to go set up the guns and Eddie Ray Ralph pulled out his pistol and shot both of them in the back and, and killed them oh my goodness. multiple times. They didn't and even mention it in the movie how it, like how what happened, did they? They they didn't mention it. I mean, they did, they said that sentence at the end that he was killed by a veteran, but um, and obviously that guy that he was off with, he didn't come home. Right. But everyone they didn't say anything about the details. Of it. At least in the U.S., everyone knows. Yeah. Everyone would have known mm-hmm. exactly how he died. He was already. The book had already come out. He wrote another book called American Guns where he talks about like the history of the U.S. through kind of important guns mm-hmm. in the times. He, Chris Kyle was famous. He was famous at this point. I think he was on Conan one time. And so when it, he died... Um, is, um, is the guy who killed him still alive? Uh, yes, he's still alive, but he's got life in prison with no chance of parole. And that's because he pled... They pled guilty to him murdering and Chris and, and Chad. Did he ever give any reasoning for it? He suffered from PTSD as well, mm-hmm. although we're not really sure why, because his time in the military, he didn't really do a whole lot. He never was in combat, and maybe he has got combat remorse, but he was obviously unstable in dealing with some a lot of other things. He was mentally unstable. Yeah, you know, I mean, you can have PTSD before you even join the military. Well, yeah, it, it may, I'm just saying he may have been struggling with, like, the mil, his military service may have only been one component. He may have been kind mm-hmm. of unstable just in general. Mm-hmm. But, so he is technically still alive, but he's never getting out of prison, ever. Right. So, but he never said what his reasoning was behind it. He said his reasoning was that they didn't talk to him very much on the ride to the gun range. Oh, right. And they could tell something was off with him, because... Mm-hmm. Chris texted the other guy and was like, this guy seems off. And the other guy texted him back. It's like, watch my six, which means like, watch my back. Right. And so they were texting each other in the car. They were texting each other on the car. Oh, wow. They got out of, obviously they didn't think something like that was going to happen, mm-hmm. but they were aware that he was kind of unstable. And then they got out of the car and were walking. And it basically, as soon as they got out of the truck, he just like shot him in the back a bunch of times and, wow. and killed him. And the movie ends with showing the actual footage of his funeral procession from where he was, you know, killed and living at the time to the Dallas Cowboys Stadium in Arlington, Mm -hmm. Texas, where the memorial service, the funeral was held. And I remember I remember when he was killed and I remember the time that that was happening and people from all over the state went and lined the highway along I-35. And there were American flags hanging everywhere. And I bet there was people from out of state as well. I'm, I'm sure there were people from all mm-hmm. over the place. But people showed up to pay their respects to Chris for everything that he did in his service. And it's a very emotional... I mean, I think wa- watching the ending is very emotional. Mm-hmm. Very. You see all these people. You know, you see his wife and, and the other SEALs and service members who served with him and... And then you see his, the casket, and the seals have this tradition where when a seal dies and he's buried, the seals, other seals that are there, take their tridents, which is that kind of gold gold symbol that they wear on their uniforms. It's got the eagle and the pistol. It's the mm-hmm. sea, air, and land mm-hmm. uh, logo. It's got the trident, and then the, the eagle's holding the trident. 
Is that what he showed when they first? Yes, yeah. When he's married and he pulls yeah. his coat back, that's yeah. the the Navy Seal Trident mm-hmm. emblem, and they on the casket they take their emblem and they hammer it in and pin their seal trident onto the casket. And, when, and they show this and they show Chris's casket and it's just filled oh with goodness. with tridents from from other people wow. that he that he served with. So. That's kind of the end of the movie, and it's kind so of, so sad. It's extremely sad. It's it's extremely sad. You know, and I mean, for his family as well. Of all, of you know, they probably everybody everybody would have thought that he was home safe. Yep. And that there's, was that was where they didn't need to be worrying about him. There's stories like this all over the mm-hmm. all over the place about these men who have gone through combat all their lives and they come out without a scratch these special operators who are in the worst of the worst and they're going through you know the worst places in combat and they survive they come home and they die in these weird simple ways like Mm. a little car crash Mm -hmm. or you know i mean this isn't a simple way but like Mm. something that you think would never happen to a man like chris kyle you know it can happen to anybody it it's just kind of one of those kind of weird things so now we'll kind of get to the post, post-action post remarks. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I always ask this question, but what do you think about the history compared to the movie? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, for me, the important bits they did get right. That you, you know, his personality um, mm-hmm. and, yeah, who he was and um, what he was c- capable of and what he achieved. I feel like they... They got the Put spirit a lot of, of that it. out. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not that let down by how much they got got wrong because I don't know that I'm very good at when it's when it's kind of military movies and there's lots of different missions and lots going on. I find it hard to follow. So really, just kind of like the simple bits of he shot that dead that you know that bad guy and that's kind of what sticks with me less more so than the actual specifics of what the actual what's going on in the war yeah i i yeah i I just disagree i mean i think about if they made a movie about your life and then they changed everything and you went and you watched this movie about somebody who's supposed to be representing you i know i'm no i get i get that chris kyle and you know and especially people who know the military um would be quite annoyed about this but from from my standpoint, from where I'm coming from, I'm just saying that for me, it's not so much of a letdown because I still feel like I kind of got a really good idea of who he was from the movie. That's true. I mean, like I said, yes, I agree. They, they definitely captured the spirit and essence of Chris mm-hmm. very, very well. And I really enjoyed the movie. I, I get, I get. Yes, they probably could have got gotten a lot more correct, and it still would have been a really good movie. The movie could be almost exactly the same, mm-hmm. except in the military parts in the movie, they could have just done the things that he actually did, mm-hmm. and it would have yeah. been an amazing, amazing movie. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why they make up these fake things that they think look cool when the things that are in print and actually happened. And you have all these after action reports that you can get it exactly right, and it's yeah. better and and you know even from a, like but a viewing standpoint. I, I cooler see... than the movie why not just do the real thing True. i do not understand it it's but about this have, real I man mean, they've simplified it haven't they um and you well, know having that you know that main one bad guy like and that v- rivalry between them it kind of captures the audience and 
Um, I thought it was dumb. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's frustrating. This man who's given his whole entire life to protecting his family and his yeah. country and all these other people, and you can't portray what mm-hmm. he actually did. You have to. You think. You, you think that you know better than what actually happened for this real man who uh-huh. served and was willing to give his life for his country. That you're going to make up stuff that you think is cooler than the things least, that he actually did. At least he had the time to write his biography, and that that's out there. Yeah. So at least this isn't the only portrayal. Of... I I understand that, but that's even a, another mark against Hollywood. The book was there. Yeah, All you had yeah. to do was read the book and put the things that actually happened in the movie. I don't understand it. I mean, I get why, because they think they know better and they think it's cooler. Mm-hmm. They think, oh, we'll have this special mission and we'll have this special sniper and, and it'll be real personal. And, and I was like, no, that's... It's dumb. Portray it real because what happened is really cool and really impressive and mm-hmm. and just as dramatic and just as dangerous. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, I do have, like, one other thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know how you said with his PTSD and everything that he was... There were a bunch of things that he said that happened mm-hmm. back at home that would prove that to not have happened. You were, so, are you worried about what happened in... Yeah, so, like, has who's verified, like, his account of... The battles? Of everything, yeah. Right, so, as far as I know, and I did look into this, because I had the same thought, that what if some of the things he said... Because there are people out there that lie about their service all the time. But um, there's so much evidence from the military after action reports his accounts that he had to fill out for the military that all of the things that he wrote about what happened in country on his deployments is more or less accurate you know people remember things differently and and there are some conflicting reports about how many people were actually there or how many kills he actually got here or this or that because that's just by nature you know it's like if the police went to a murder scene and they interview witnesses and there's five witnesses they may have five similar but different stories mm-hmm. so when people write after actual reports and what actually gets put down on the official report might differ a little bit, but what actually happened is is the same. And so Chris's retelling of his time in Iraq is pretty much all 100% accurate as to what he did. Okay. There's so much evidence that would come out if he was lying about right, his service right. very, very quickly. And nothing has. And nothing has. Okay. The only thing that's up for debate really is his kill count because it's confirmed or not confirmed. And it's just, and it is obviously everyone agrees that it's less than what it would have been. So it's, it's not like it's been exaggerated. Right, yeah, it hasn't been exaggerated. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So there might be little details here and there that are not technically right or not, might might not line up exactly with the official report, but that's that's how it is all, mm-hmm. all the time. So, But his portrayal of what he did and his team did and what they did in those battles is all accurate. So his deployments in the book and what he tells is all is all accurate. Mm-hmm. It's just the movie. You know. It'd be interesting to see if anybody comes back and says that you got anything wrong. I'm sure I did. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I. I'm sure I uh, got a few things wrong. But <laughs> that's why we have this segment of things John got wrong. You know, mm-hmm. if I mess up and people say, "Oh, you said this," or "This actually happened," or "Actually, John in the book it did talk about this." I'll be like, "Hey, you know what? I." I either missed it when I was reading it or I mm-hmm. missed I remembered it wrong or something like that. And on the next episode, I'll call myself out on all the things on all the things I got wrong. But this I like this movie if it was just a historical fiction made up movie because the way they portray the military 
is is very accurate. Mm-hmm. The way they wear their gear, the way they shoot, the way they move, the way they you know just mm-hmm. maneuver and and do all these things. It's very well done. It's very well done. I just it loses me when we get to the historical accuracy of somebody who I respect very very much. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where I I just can't get I just can't get past it. I just can't get past all the stuff they just made up for for the sake of being more dramatic or more Hollywood or cooler that in, in their minds. I just, yeah. I think it, I think it fails the historical accuracy test okay. miserably. The essence of Chris nail, you know, nail on the head. Historical accuracy fails miserably. So is there anything else that you thoughts on the movie or thoughts on the history or Chris himself or anything like that, that we, mm. that you had wanted to talk about or anything like that? I don't think so. I think we covered everything that I had thought of. Very good. Don't forget to find us on Instagram and follow the Base on History Instagram page. Please follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening. It really, really helps us out. And tell everyone you know, tell your friends, (laughs) tell the people you hate. I don't care. Get the word out, people. Help us <laughs> keep the podcast going, build the brand up, and we will see you next time on the Based on History podcast. Adios.